0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. Another bonus feature in the Ben Jarofsky Show. Uh, I guess this would be Monday. So it's Monday. Hey, happy Monday, everybody. I'm probably still (laughs) sleeping as you hear this. Um, My guest is Tim Tutton. People say Tim Tutten. He's the dude that owns the hideout, yeah. But now he owns the hideout. He's a public school teacher, and before that, uh, he was an aide to Arnie Duncan. So he has been in Washington. He knows a thing or two about. Local politics, because it's the head of the hideout. He was sort of one of the leaders of the fight against Lincoln Yards, resistance. <laughs> uh, he's a school teacher, so he knows a thing or two about Chicago Public Schools. He uh, runs the hideout, uh, along with his wife, Katie. I know Katie's the brains of the operation, so That's right. just giving a shout out to Katie. Hey. Uh, it's a small businessman, and uh, playing the game in Washington. He knows how things are go in Washington. So a lot to cover with you, young man. You ready to do it?
1: Uh, I'll try, yes. All right. <laughs> I'll so try. early Monday morning. <laughs> yeah, it's early Monday morning.
0: Oh, wow, Ooh. man, I'm still hungover. It's
1: been a busy weekend at the hideout, you know?
0: Uh, all right, so hideout, 1354 West Wabansia. It's still there. It hasn't been eradicated yet. It's nope. a great little bar yep. uh, in an area that used to be heavily manufacturing when young Tim and Katie moved there in the, 1995. Do I have that correct?
1: 1996 is when we owned it. All
0: right, we it. when you bought it, 1996. Hmm. Nobody could probably predict that the day would come in 2019, where the city of Chicago would be dedicating over a billion, that's with a B, dollars to hand out to a developer to uh, build a huge complex in the area paving over and knocking out all the industry and the manufacturing that that existed there forever and ever and building a mega loop mini loop on the north side Uh, I certainly couldn't have predicted that and uh, so here we are but you've led the resistance talk about that the resistance to Lincoln Yards
1: Um, I don't know where to start I didn't lead the resistance Um, you could argue Katie was the one who started Chicago Independent Venue League and uh, so we I don't even know where to start. All right. right. But, yes, we are in ground zero. Um, The concrete's been broken across the street in the parking lot, and they're starting to dig holes for the 65-story tower that they're going to build. That, you know, was... um, A compromise. Originally, they requested an 85-story tower, but they heard that the neighbors wanted it to be more pedestrian-friendly and more neighborhoody, so they lowered that to 65. All right. So, how will the
0: hideout exist now? The hideout, folks. If you haven't been there, I'll try to describe it. It's it's a house. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. a house uh, on a street, and it used to be across. There was where the garbage trucks were kept. That was the fleet facility. They moved that to the south side. Now they're putting these skyscrapers, these high rises here. How will the hideout exist uh, during all this construction uh, the, the start of the construction the construction then of course when the skyscrapers are operating but with the construction how are you guys going to be able to stay in business
1: so we are the um, we are what made America great we are a small house that was converted into a small business on a, a side Street that has working people who go to it we are a main street small business hard-working middle America kind of place and that means no Nothing can blow us over, so we're going to be there. We've been there since the 1860s, which Tim Samuelson, the city historian, um, confirmed. Uh, we um, opened not
0: the, since the eight the bar the building itself has been there since the 1860s. The
1: building was not built. you, no, okay. not not us. <laughs> <laughs> but last night we did uh, we did a celebration of Walt Whitman's birthday mm-hmm. at the Hideout, and we realized that the Hideout was there when Walt Whitman was uh, a poet in 1860. 1860s, was alive, yes was alive um, the building was built as a, as a house uh, in the 1860s it was converted into um, a, a boarding house a rooming house in the 1880s and then around 19 we're not sure around 1910 1912 before World War one it started to become a public house and by 1917 it was an active public house we predated the prohibition. And we were an unlicensed...
0: (laughs) You survived the prohibition.
1: And to us, the hideout, we were already running um, (laughs) an underground business by 1910. Uh And so, you know, it was the old days when I guess if you were able to find the right alderman, you were able to stay in business i
0: don't know how old those days are they're just
1: when i seeing burke yesterday on the city hall i'm like god darn it looks like those days are coming to an end all right but it's been a great two centuries of that (laughs) Uh, luckily we got in while that was still the way things were done in this city (laughs) So back before the days of Patty Baller and Hinky Dean Kenna and those kind of guys, we were, we were one of those places, public houses, that went into business. And so by 1917, we were already operating as a public house. By 1919, when the prohibition came into effect, it didn't affect us in one way or another. We just kept running as we did until reform came to Chicago around 1934, and
0: then reforming quotes by the way
1: yeah we had to get a license oh. um, and so <laughs> yeah, prohibition was
0: over by then so you could have that's probably pro, why you had to get a license cuz suddenly you know it was legal again
1: it was yes and it was 1930 like uh, whatever the the prohibition ended but it was 34 when the first big round of bars were mm-hmm. licensed in the city the burghoff and the green door and all those places so the hideout was part of that 1934
0: and so it was a For, legal way to shake people down think about this uh Uh, Tim, so now the uh, bar owners had to go to the city for a license to get that approval. They probably had to pay a little something. Whereas in the old days, uh, they just had to pay a little something so they could operate illegally. If you follow what I just said, right? So it was a more legal way of uh, shaking people down.
1: It was. The fact is, um, like Tim Samuelson talks about this. The fact was the hideout. Um, when before there was licensing after after the prohibition ended and Mm -hmm. the city set up a licensing. System, there was a thousand hideouts. Every other house was a public house. Mm. Every other house was having a party that just, you could buy liquor anywhere. And so, kind of like the way things are done now in marijuana, right? Who sells marijuana? The kid on the corner. And so, it was all over the place. And so, the prohibition helped the city shut down all of these houses. So people always picture this Al Capone era where there were these big, fancy nightclubs or the Green Mill, a place like that. Mm-hmm. But the reality was everybody's mom and his grandma was selling their own homemade whiskey.
0: All right, so but going back to the question I asked, so can you assure <laughs> uh, the hideout lovers, people who've been going to the hideout forever, that uh, you'll be able to keep the doors open during the construction?
1: Yeah, we're gonna keep them open. Um, not only are we keeping them open during the construction... The other night, um, we kicked off Devil in the Wood Piles Thursday night out on the porch. It's summertime. And while they were playing, the bulldozers were across the street still operating at 530. And so... we're just gonna be the bitchy neighbor across the street that's gonna, when they're saying, turn down that banjo, we're gonna be responding, <laughs> stop with the bulldozers! Um, or we have another option, which yeah. we told the construction workers last Thursday, uh-huh. we're like, and by the way, dudes, PBRs are $3, so uh, uh, can we lower, uh, uh, so. We're, PBRs. We're gonna be crabbing at the construction going on across the street while our bands are playing, or we're going to lure in those union workers uh, yeah. with special discounts if they can actually show us they're a union member. Ah. Because you know when Lincoln Yards, when this all was getting pushed through uh-huh. um, last month, every union worker in the city that Lincoln Yards could find, because we know they, we know Sterling Bay probably uses a non-union subcontractors to do all their stuff, the most privatizing companies, you know. Yeah, uh-huh. But anyway, they got some union guys mm-hmm. to step up and say they needed union jobs um, on this Lincoln Yards, project so our little thought is that, okay, guys, if you're all really union, because we support the union, because we've always been a union bar, because we are in the center of steelworker union, the center of that, so we're saying, bring your union card, show us that you're in the union, because we don't want any scabs in our bar, and we'll give you a free beer, all right? All right? Yeah, that's... That way, we get them off of the job site, and we get them into our bar, and we get new, um,
0: oh, that... we get new customers. Tim Tutton is a uh, tricky guy.
1: When, when, the, when, the, when the city gives us a $6 billion mega project, we make lemonade uh, with vodka on special <laughs> all, right, all so summer long.
0: That's good to know that you'll be... Uh,
1: Don't operate uh, heavy equipment by the after way, you stop by w- the hideout.
0: Uh, Mick Dumpkin and I do our uh, first Tuesday show, uh, first Tuesday of the month, at the hideout and I guarantee you, when we when they see that we're doing this show, right. man, those machines will be three times enormous, like, grrr, the normal like The bar will be shaking. Grrr, they'll be towing right. cars. Right, uh, Chicago politics. Anyway, you, you allude to the fact that yeah. uh, yesterday's showdown, when we're taping this, yeah. is a Thursday. You, when you hear this, it'll be a Monday. Whoa, oh. that's really really trippy. But okay. anyway, uh, <laughs> yesterday's uh, city council showdown, uh, Ed Burke uh, it was stood up, the old alderman, and uh, Lori Lightfoot swatted him down like a pesky fly, right. as Fran Spielman wrote uh, in the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, Tim, you know what's that? what did that do to you? What, did, what kind of thoughts did that trigger in your old Chicago brain?
1: So in my old Chicago brain, I immediately was like oh hell yes okay, knock him out I mean when she said we'll take that under advisement yeah. I just thought it was the greatest thing in the world then I opened up uh, the paper and I see John Cash's, John Cass's column yeah. and I think like oh I did it again, man. I I, I immediately as a Chicagoan love to see the boss bust down, you know? Some little guy. And when Lori did that, I was like, that's my boss. She's my boss. And she's sending down Burke. And then I had, to th- that's my Chicago reaction, yeah. all right? Because we go hard. We play like that, right? And so then afterwards, I thought, oh, damn, if daily when Daly used to do that or when, you know, Rom kind of didn't do it because he was so snarky. Yeah. But so when I, when I thought, <laughs> I go, oh, here we go. Now we got Lady Boss. She's going to be the bully now, right?
0: And, and you're with the bully.
1: I'm with the bully. And so... But yes. well, wait, time out. In, de- in defense
0: of Lori Lightfoot, is it yeah. a? Are you a bully when the person that you're bullying is himself a bully? Is that a bully? Is you it's know a
1: hard saying? one because she's in. It's called the bully pulpit. Yeah, and she's. And Ed Burke is a big boy. He should be able to handle oh, it. Oh, so it was great to see his get treated like that, right? Uh-huh. And he should have known better. But, I mean, I'm not even sure why. I, the fact that he did the gender... He was so concerned about he and she. Yeah. The, the fact he did that, I'm still trying to figure out because he's a three-dimensional chess player, okay? okay? Yeah. And there's something happening there, and I'm just not... You know, I'm the I'm the Chicagoan who loves to see the 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 mayor be strong and do what she did. But at the same time, I know that Burke, there's always these guys, the pinstripe guy well, in the I'm background a, with a triple three-dimensional I, game. I'm going to
0: say this to you, and this is going to uh, counter what you just said. Years ago, the great Sid hour, the legendary Sid Art, I don't know if you've ever met him. Uh, he was. Uh, uh, a political activist, and uh, he, he ran the Jubilee Showcase, uh, a big uh, supporter of uh, gospel music, and Prosario, and Prosario. He told me, he was an uh, ally to Harold Washington, aide to Harold Washington, that the media is complicit in making Ed Burke and Ed Verdoliak smarter than they actually are. And he goes, yeah. Benny, they're not that smart. Yeah. You media build them up to be so smart and they're not that smart. And I, I, that's my kind of attitude. I mean, I hear what you're saying about Ed Burke for the last two weeks. There's been this buildup in the media, Tim, that the evil Ed Burke is plotting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. He's coming, he's yeah. hatching, he's, he's like the spider who's spinning a web, and
1: look out, Lori. Yeah. And man, that's what he brought? They're talking about he versus she? Yeah, because I was talking to a guy, um, a detective friend, all right? Not about Ed Burke, but about serial killers, okay? A okay. couple years ago, I know, I'm not connecting him with anything, other than the fact they found 23 guns in his office when they went in. But anyway, <laughs> here's the thing. we were talking about he said you know the thing with these guys they get they 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 commit all these crimes over and over and they get older and they get lazy okay and he was talking about the unabomber and he was talking about all these different career criminals Uh that for years and years and years they get away with stuff and then they get at a certain point, they're just like, oh shit, I could just steal that. I could shake down a Burger King. You know? What, what, what? Their do- binny's on Irving Park needs an awning. Yeah, yeah go get that. All right? <laughs> now, you know, and yeah. so they're so, he's 76 years old, Ed Burke. And so it's kind of like, a bas- it's like any great pro athlete right there comes a point where you gotta step aside and let the young guys do the stealing if you're an <laughs> alderman and it's like there's a whole new generation out there yeah. and you gotta just open up and say guys there's you know what i got my part i mean ed burke's got i think he's got the house up, and by the way yeah. everyone thinks it, no he is not underrated Ed Burke is the greatest. Okay, so if people are like, he's not as smart as he actually thinks, you know, as the Wait, media, he's the
0: greatest. What?
1: He is the greatest, corruptest number one. We got to live in a time where the Jordan of corruption was. I mean, he fifty years. i say no so. alderman has served longer. Well,
0: maybe not, but I would say I would make this this before your time. See, yeah, you're the he problem. Beats I, he beats Hinky no, Dink. He beats Bathhouse Keene. Tom Tom (laughs) Keene was the master. He wrote the book. Eddie Burke is just playing from the Tom Keene playbook. Tom Keene was the author of the 31st Ward. He was a committeeman, and he was the original Mayor Daly's floor leader and finance chair. Mm -hmm. Everything that Ed Burke did, Tom Keene invented. Okay. But the, the difference is Keene went to the federal penitentiary for a yes, corruption charge having to do with a land transaction. I forget the details. It's always something stupid always like that. It's always something because stupid. Because they
1: always, the FBI, they just look at it and they go, can we go back 50 years on Ed Burke? And they just said, nah, just tap his phone tomorrow. <laughs> All right? <laughs> so they tapped his phone tomorrow and the Burger King called up and it was like his buddy who's in the news today or whatever, the guy calls up, yeah, boss, yeah, some Burger King over there on Pulaski and he's doing some work on the parking lot. Oh, really? Go get him a talk. All All right. right? And he goes over there. What's going on guys? Nothing. Right. And it, they, he's going to that's what they get him for extortion well, that's uh, but, but Burke is the best he's the greatest it's like been an honor to live in the time that he got to be that I got to see this I mean since 1969 uh, you know the great you know year when man went on the moon ed Burke came in and uh, put set his foot one small buck for man one giant leap for this guy and I mean he surpassed his father he got his wife on the Supreme Court Let's not forget oh, that. Yeah, that's true. Behind he every great corrupt politician, there's a, a Bonnie behind that Clyde. Yeah. Where? What's? It's. It, when does she get to like have a say in what's going on here? Who paid for those trips to Florida, Honey? Why are we going to Europe every year? What about Honey Bear Farm in Wisconsin? That's one of the greatest deals ever made. And Ed Burke, he like pulled that off back in the. 80s. He pulled that off when like, Harold Washington was the mayor and he figured out the Carson Perry Scott O'Hare Airport deal so that he could get Honey Bear Farm. He, you know, I mean okay. does anybody talk? He still has that place, right?
0: I, I, I'm not aware of that. But it's,
1: a, it's a resort up in Wisconsin that he he got.
0: Alright, now uh, some that, that was alderman. a great riff. There, there's a body behind that, Clyde. It is one of the greatest lines of all time from Tim Tutton. <laughs> now, let's shift gears a little bit away from the city council, away from city of Chicago yeah uh, Tim Tutton as I said uh, for about what was it seven years you were Arnie Duncan's one of his press secretaries press aides in Washington do I, I have the years correct
1: okay after I've, all that you wouldn't know it but I was the um, director of special projects partnerships and events okay the U.S. Department of Education I work for Secretary Duncan
0: all right let me ask you this question how in the world did you ever get that job you when you do the hideout shows if anybody's ever been to the hideout, Tim is like a little to the left of me, which is, I don't know if that's possible, uh, denouncing all the things that go on in this city, uh, very upfront about it, calling on people to sign petitions, uh, challenge the powers that be. You got a job with one of the most mainstream bastions of civic Chicago, Arnie Duncan. He's like, doesn't get any more mainstream than that. How in the world, Tim Tutton, did that happen?
1: Because I'm I'm a loudmouth, and guys like Arnie Duncan are beautiful, intelligent, really solution-oriented people, and they want. And he's a listener. He really does listen to people, and he wants to know what's going on. Okay, and there's this thing that um, good leaders have, and they talk about eyes and ears. And they talk about, I need eyes out there, I need ears out there. We need to honestly figure out how to do things, mm-hmm. right? And so I was, um, I could make this, Do uh, how can we turn this into a seven episode podcast, on the, what, you know, like This American Life? Or I could make it simple. I am who I have always been, all mm-hmm. right? I was a loudmouth high school teacher, and I was always, like, getting my kids organized to do whatever. You got to march against handgun violence. We're going down to Daly Plaza. There's a rap contest uh, about, you know, handgun violence. There, there's a, a clean energy thing, sustainable. Um, my kids were in the history fair. We went downstate. I was an academic decathlon coach. I was a, um, the model United Nations guy. Um, I was always, uh, we did a thing at my school with Studs Terkel, of mm. all people, where we did the play Working, and we invited Studs Terkel. And Studs Terkel came to Jones High School, where I was at the, the old time. Jones. The old Jones High School.
0: When it was a vocational school.
1: Jones uh, Commercial. I was one of the Book teachers commercial. who was one of the teachers from, when it went from Jones Commercial into what became Jones Academic Magnet, which became... Now, the new Jones, right? Yeah,
0: smart kid cool.
1: And so I was... Uh, so anyway, we did this play, and we invited Studs Terkel, and we got a big story in the paper about it. And the bottom line is my kids used to always come to school social studies and they used to say how come every story about kids in Chicago is about gangs and killing and about how bad we are why don't they do positive stories about Mm -hmm. us and so as a teacher I turned that into my lesson my whole that was it everything we did I said um, if we're studying the Civil War if we're going to write a a paper about the causes of the Civil War let's send it to the Tribune if we're going to do a biography of somebody Frederick Douglass history whatever let's send it to the sun times let's send it out to the paper let's contact abc news so we kept doing positive stories we're going to do the play working we'd like to invite studs turkel studs turkel comes come so we got a lot of attention maybe that's because we were at jones high school we were downtown mm-hmm. okay but it was also because our kids were involved the mikvah challenge in the election in 1996 and 2000 all these things so um arnie's communications guy Peter Cunningham. Oh, PC. <laughs> Pete Cunningham. <laughs> My good friend, PC. <laughs> I kept bumping into him. Yeah, PC. I kept bumping into him. Uh-huh. And I kept telling him what he, I kept telling him how to do his job. Uh, I kept telling him you- I'm why sure did he appreciated you? that. Yeah. He, to his credit, uh-huh. said, You know what? What why you know what? You, you you say you talk a lot of crazy stuff, but some of your ideas aren't bad. Wait, you that's
0: know? you. You started off with a Peter Cunningham imitation, and you lost it. You start yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, like that. Uh, you know, uh, Tim. Uh, you know, why don't you uh, give me a call? Uh, okay. So that's that my PC meant, imitation,
1: <laughs> because you're in the press. Yeah. That's your. That's how you hear him. Okay. Uh,
0: how do you hear him?
1: I was a CPS employee. all uh-huh. right oh. He was a CPS, and I was like yeah. saying, like, look, man, we work for the same operation. Yeah. And yet you don't see what's going on over here, over there. He was the kind of guy that was like, okay, show it to me. You know, why don't you, okay, let's try that. Why don't you work in communications? You think you know how to do this? Why don't you come in? And he, he really said that. And I I basically for two years said, um, there's no way I'm working downtown. Those guys, they're, they're the problem. You're the problem. And he kept saying, if we're the problem, I'm telling you, he's, I finally... He
0: called your bluff, man.
1: Called my bluff. And it basically was, I was constantly bitching to him about how they weren't really showing students and teachers and the union and talking about how hard it is to, you know, do what we do and the amazing things that our parents and kids are doing. And so he basically said, okay, all right, let's see, let's do it. And and so, I was a teacher. I got assigned downtown. I started working in the communications office. I went on working as one of the managers of media relations for the high schools for CPS. And Arnie was the CEO. And every single thing we would have meetings what do you got what's going on what's happening down at Julian High School what else is going on you know hey let's do a story about Whitney Young winning the academic decathlon and I said let's do a story about manly finally getting in the academic decathlon for the first time ever there's the story and so uh, every time let's do a story you know what do you got and so Arnie and Peter those guys were always like okay eyes ears pitch it let's do it and really i understand from my critics that what i was doing was showing how great cps was at a time when many people were critical of cps but what i would always tell the the right the the, the journalists right yeah whoever it is whether it's the reader the sun times wpez one of the things i would always say to them is you know what you are constantly hammering on CPS. You are constantly hammering on how bad, the, the next story about the bad teacher, the next story about the bad school, the bad coach, the kid who hurt somebody, whatever, right? Uh-huh. And I said, and I just kept, my main theory was, what about trier? What about Buffalo <laughs> Grove? What about Lake Forest? Isn't that in your BEZ? Doesn't WGN cover? Don't you, aren't you reaching out to Naperville? Why don't you cover DuPage County? You got a huge suburban. You're writing stories about CPS all the time to just feed into the Oak Parkers and all of those guys yeah. out there I'm like I think you need to look into River Woods I think you need to check out Hubbard Woods inside so constantly uh-huh. what you know what about the story in Grays Lake with that football team what about the hazing up at Clyrick North High School in Northbrook how come the board up there and so okay I know I'm going on and on about that no, but, but I would say, <laughs> and whenever they would say yeah. you know this happened at this high school that I can remember we had some horrible things that happened from students my okay we had a, there were some kids that were ki- students that had a, that were attendant okay anytime a teenager is killed uh-huh. in this city and it happens every week okay mm-hmm. every time it happens On a Friday, on a Saturday, it happens in a park. It's the most tragic thing in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Every time the reporter lists it, Julian High School student shot, Mm -hmm. Manly High School student shot. The first time that they finally identify that the kid attends a high school is when a tragedy happens. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know something, the kid, first of all, wasn't at Julian. No murders have happened at our schools. None of this stuff happens at our school. It happens on weekends when the kids that attend our schools that have counselors and teachers that are doing everything we can to help improve their lives. They go out on a Saturday night and something happens to a teenager. And the first thing the press will put down is Julian High School student killed. Mm -hmm. Right. When we're the people that were trying everything to make Julian High School student live. So I would tell this to the press. You know, you are presenting our students. You are telling us teachers. You know what? If you really want a story, talk to the teacher whose heart is broken because their honor student just got killed. This Kadia Pendleton, when she died during President Obama's term in office, Mm -hmm. the kid who was in the, the inauguration parade.
0: Yeah, from King.
1: Okay, that story. You know why that hit? that that hit our first lady and president obama and Arnie duncan that hit us so hard because it always was happening to us and now there was the president and the first lady and the secretary of education and they were like this shit's been going on for the our entire lives mm-hmm. and now we were in washington and that happened and when that I, that's just one example that happened Uh, and the south side king high school you know we all just like stood back when when anyway i know i'm like skipping over to washington coming back to chicago but so my my thought was the interview should not be that whenever a kid would get shot the reporters would call me up and they would say Can we talk to uh, the principal? Can we talk to the teacher? Can we talk to some of the students at the school to see how they're feeling? And they would have students crying and things like that. And I said, you know, let's think this through. That student was taking Japanese. Think of that. They had a Japanese language class at Julian High School. Let's talk to that teacher about how they were working with that child. Okay? Not about how, because the, the assumption is the kids are in gangs. The assumption is, why was the kid out in the park? Why did the kid get shot? Mm-hmm. It's always this quick. And who's listening to that? Who's reading John Cass's article? Who's reading the Tribune? Suburban readers are reading about the horrible situation in the city and how we're out of control and CPS and all of our schools are bad. Okay, so anyway, I... I, I so anyway... When I became, when I was working in media relations, I would constantly work with the schools. And I, we would go in and I would say, what do we got going on here? What's happening that's good? Okay, am I spinning anything? I'm not spinning anything.
0: Well, the difference is this. Uh, there's, I hear what you're saying uh, uh, on your riff. And there's a lot of it that you say I absolutely agree with. Uh, the notion that somehow or other anytime there's a murder it's linked to a public institution it's a way of undercutting the institution uh, and uh, it's a way of demeaning public uh, schools it's a way of demeaning the city of Chicago it's a way of writing off entire neighborhoods entire people I completely agree with you on that point uh, I mean The my objection to I wasn't even going here with the the question originally, but I'm going to say it. My objection to the way publicity shops for the uh, Board of Education and the mayor's office have operated in my lifetime in the city of Chicago is that essentially they're not in the business of disseminating public information so that we can be more aware of how our government is working, what it's. Uh, flaws are what things we should know what what we could work on to improve or what's working and so we should continue it they're all about um putting the best possible spin on the individual who runs it, and the individuals change. Tim, I've I've lived through. Uh, good God, I can go with Janice Jackson and yep. Forrest Claypool and Barbara yep. bird Bennett and Jean Claude Brousard yeah, and you can. Arnie Keep Duncan. Going. No,
1: no, before Brousard, after Arnie.
0: Oh, there was the 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 the, the kid. Uh, no, Huberman. Huberman. No, no, uh, at, before after Huberman, there was the guy from some foundation who was temporarily sitting in there mm-hmm. because Mayor Daly. I'm going to give him credit against, my Dave giving Dave, Mayor Daly credit. Mm-hmm. Unlike Rom, was, mm-hmm. was rushed through the TIF deal. Mm-hmm. Mayor Daly said, "You know, I'm leaving office, mm-hmm. so I am going to let the next mayor appoint the uh, head of the schools." And he had that the, the fellow, what's his name? The, his the,
1: name the, begins with an M. T- um, the guy who was Terry. With, Terry. Uh, great whatever. Guy, yeah,
0: whatever. Actually. Terry. And then before Terry was Ronnie Huberman, know, and before or... Huberman, it was your boy Duncan. Yeah. And then
1: whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down now. Stop. Okay. You just mentioned half a dozen, 10, who knows how many CEOs, right? Yeah. Arnie Duncan was there for eight years. Okay, so when you go in, and I even think he, he was there longer than Vallis. Yeah, Vallis so was the there all the crazy stuff that years. happened. Okay, so Arnie was in for eight years, the longest serving CEO in Chicago Public Schools. Well, right? wait,
0: wait, let me finish my point. Okay. So my point is, no matter who the head of the Board of Education is, or the head of Chicago Public Schools, generally the mission is to make the mayor look as good as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that dumbs down the people of the city of Chicago. I think that makes, the, first of all, the under- Underlying assumption of almost any mayor who comes in is that the schools he inherited were wretched shape. Mayor Rahm did that, which dissing um, uh, the mayor Daly before him. Mm -hmm. And uh, now Lori Lightfoot hasn't played that game yet, but they always trash the the school system that existed when they inherited, so that a year later they can say, "Guess what, Tim?" My God, we're so much better than we had been. And it's our great mayor. Let's now bow down to our exalted mayor. Mayor Daley was the education mayor. (laughs) They called him the education mayor. Arnie Duncan took his tenure at Chicago and used it to go to Washington and become the education secretary. Mm-hmm. You would think that would make Chicago the center of the universe as far as education. No. Rom comes in, totally trashes the public school system, yes, totally um, trashes the teachers, yes, trashes did. the union, yep. trashes industry disrespect. Take a chill pill, man.
1: <laughs> okay. I've lived through all this stuff, man. You, but, but when we go back to Arnie, yeah. okay, Arnie did everything he could to create stability to create consistency i know your callers if you have any we all don't right have callers okay look man here's the thing <laughs> arnie has a guy like yeah. me okay and first of all when he came on i was like he's paul val he's following Vallis. Yeah. to hell with them and that's the kind of thing i used to say he's the guy now he's going to do it and when i saw the way he was doing things i thought you know what he's going to take me out he's other people he was trying to create more stability so he was not Mayor Daly's boy, Arnie Duncan, okay? Arnie Duncan comes in because Daly needed some freaking stability after the crazy Vallis. <laughs> the, the, he was the guy, the reorganization, yeah. the the um uh, all the re stuff, right? Okay. Right, <laughs> I know re Renaissance twenty twenty. I'll just catch that before you uh, yeah, said about this. Okay. Didn't
0: Pete Cunningham so write the speech? He, he I think Peter was, Cunningham wrote the speech. But Arnie The Renaissance twenty ten speech.
1: But Arnie, I have seen him, he reads his work, he does his homework, he sits in meetings, he listens to people, he argues, he debates, he gets different sides, and I'm telling you, man, he, you know what, I'm just gonna say this, all right? When Obama got elected, and Arnie was an Obama guy, mm-hmm. not a Daley guy, and Daly was not an Obama guy, Daly was a Tom Hines guy. He was, he was, remember, he supported Hines in the 2004 election for Senate. Uh,
0: wait, about, wait, time out, time out. You're saying that Mayor Richard M. Daly supported Tom Hines, uh, no, Danny no. Hines? I don't Dan think
1: Dan Hines in the primary. Do you think he,
0: I don't think was, he took us, I don't think Daly endorsed anybody in that Brett election. Brett Hall.
1: There was Brett Hall.
0: Not Brett Hall. Brett Hall's a hockey player.
1: Blair Hall. Blair Hall. <laughs> Blair <laughs> Hall was acting like a hockey player in his uh, personal relationships. Okay. He went down. Wow. Remember, Um, Blair Hall was the front runner. Yes, he was. Okay. All right. Uh, Louis Gutierrez supported Blair Hall early on, right? Remember these guys? Yeah. Okay. Blair Hall, Dan Hines, uh, Barack Obama. Okay. Daley was not with Obama. I I, I just think
0: Daley was quote unquote neutral in that race. Oh, neutral. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Wink, wink, neutral. Okay. Okay.
1: So my point is, is that Arnie Duncan was a guy who was seen as just more moderate and independent, not a Daley guy, okay, but... He's a quiet guy, okay? Mm-hmm. He works with the mayor. He, he works with the mayor. He listens to other sides. So he was this guy who was just kind of a calm voice of reason. How are we going to do this, all right? And so he wasn't on this like uh, uh, charter school binge. Like When Ron comes in, you get to see that's how bad it could be. What Arnie was doing was trying to say if we're going to do a changeover for a school, if there's going to be a closure, there's going to be neighborhood hearings. There's going, we have, because that's the rules. He's a guy who played by the rules and was, and, and, and
0: Okay I, okay, I did Rahm not mean this to and, turn it, but, no, 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 but the Rahm charter school, great, the and, greatest charter school growth occurred, it started with Arnie Duncan. Rahm was sipping from it, that same charter school. I think it started with
1: Vallis. And I think Arnie had to make, and, 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 and there was a huge outpouring of people in, 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 uh, in the west and south sides and other places that wanted something done they were so tired of their schools failing that there was this and this we're talking about the 90 we're talking about the late Actually, 90s. I
0: disagree with that. Okay. I do not believe there was a huge outpouring of people on the south or west sides or anywhere for charter schools because I personally they believe They not for
1: charter schools. I, I believe, believe the charter schools They were school for won't. changing the school, better schools.
0: Well, okay, for their kids but charter schools were effectively become a tool. Now we're on a tangent with a tangent. But charter schools were effectively became a way in which uh where the Republican political establishment uh, used poor, kids uh, as an excuse to destroy teachers' unions. And I would have had, if the charter schools from the get-go had said, we will allow our teachers to be unionized, and we will insist that our teachers in our charter schools make the same amount of money and have the same benefits as the teachers in the quote-unquote public schools, I would have had no problem with the charter schools.
1: I agree with you 100%, and that's where I'm, I'm a member of the Chicago Teachers' Union right now. I'm a teacher, and this is something I made clear. I uh, th- The fact that they weren't unionized schools I, I can't even believe that ever existed, all right? And I, I, and I will tell you though that it's a little more nuanced than just the Republican thing, okay? So Heather Staines, right? The Staines family helped start North Lawndale College Prep. I Well, oh, no, time two out. Years. There were there a
0: were, lot of Democrats yes. who drank from that Kool-Aid. I, and I would tell the, the Democratic Party, my Democratic Party, I've been loyally voting right. Democrat since okay. the moment I was able to vote Tim Tutton. I watched my Democratic Party yeah. embrace these Republican ideological concepts about I public schools. I think you're schools.
1: over-exaggerating that. It isn't an embrace. It's we need to look at this. We need to try this. We looked. We looked at charters. Some people looked at charters. As, all right, let's try this. It's a five-year charter. Let's ex- let's try it. People wanted schools. All right, I, let me be really clear. All right, I teach at a regular. I teach at the juvenile detention center now. Uh-huh. Okay, I believe in neighborhood community old old schools. I believe in neighborhood schools, not charters. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I hear you, but I'm telling you, 15, 16, 18 years ago, when this was starting to happen. Just what I'm just saying when I
0: when I hear you, what I'm saying, I, I feel as though you haven't come out of you haven't emerged, evolved from it from where the Democrats were back then. I'm telling you right now, when Democrats talk about the strategic play of the Republicans. They have to acknowledge that to a certain degree, they played along with it. And this is a notion that goes back to the days of Bill Clinton, and it's advocated by Rahm Emanuel and David Axra, et cetera, that the way to win, and Clinton was the genius behind it all. They all learned from Clinton. The way to get ahead, the way to have a Democratic Party uh, become the majority party is to convince people that we're not like the Democrats that used to be. And so they have to occasionally pick somebody that is represents as symbol, symbolic, It's epitomizes the Democratic Party and then bam them. And that's their way of winning over swing voters. So what did Bill Clinton do? 1992. What were the first things he do? There was a guy on death row in Arizona, got an airplane, flew to Arizona, and pushed the button so that guy got killed. And that was his way of saying, I'm not a wimpy Democrat. I will interrupt my presidential campaign to go pull the switch on a guy who's on death row. I'm. What did he do? He criticized Sister Soldier. It's way before your time. You don't even know what I'm talking about. I know Sister exactly Soldier. what you're talking and that was about. His, I was 32
1: years okay. old. The hideout right. was started in 1996. Right, that's... The yeah, in October and in November we had a party to we hated Clinton. We had a one but of our worst things. No, no, I never That's I know. the same
0: thing with the charter schools. So what are they going to do with charter schools? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to prove to swing voters. They got this notion of swing voters that we are going to stand up to teachers unions. And so they made teachers unions the enemy. They bashed teachers union. They said the secret to educating poor kids is that you have to have good teachers and you Unions coddle bad teachers. We get rid of the unions. We lower their pro- their power. We're going to get rid of bad teachers. And you watch. Those kids at the Cook County Jail are going to be scoring as well in their achievement scores as kids at Trier. That was the rhetoric that okay. the Democratic Party put out there. And that is Republican rhetoric, man. And okay. I've been fighting it for I'm 10 not, years.
1: Okay. I don't know why. I just get too loud. I'm not arguing with you. Everything you said is correct. Okay? Everything you said is correct all right and i never was a guy who drank that kool-aid i was always a guy who was like no nah, i'm good i don't need that right <laughs> okay but you're right there was some degree of watered down kool-aid being drunk yes you are <laughs> correct i i can't believe i'm even in this discussion about these because the second the, because the, arnie and other people know i'm not a charter i agree with you okay that said um when I went to Washington, okay uh-huh. and, and the reason I was part of that team was because um, they wanted people all right they, I was I'm a union guy, okay? I'm the guy all right that when we were doing meetings in Washington, DC, listen, the, the Secretary of Education, we had a goal. We were going to go to two schools every day. We had a goal when we got to DC in 2009, we're gonna go to all 50 states. And we did. We're the only one maybe Vilsack when he the agriculture Mm. sack, I think maybe him. He like was heard about this and he's like, Oh damn, I got to do that too, all right? We went to every state. We followed up on all these invitations. Schools would contact us and say, could the secretary come to our school? I'd put that in my thing and I'd go, can we go to Burlington, Vermont? There's some kids with an organic garden in their <laughs> playground. Can we go to um, Montana? There's a Native American reservation in the Northern Cheyenne group that they want to um, do a, a circle, a trust circle. Can we do that? And I mean, the people in D.C. who were used to working for Margaret Spellings, okay, who only went to big cities to conferences to speak at universities they could not believe that we are like we're going to go to Vermont we're going to go to West Virginia we're going to talk to kindergarten teachers there okay and my and um oh and so my point was when i got to dc they were so used to 8 years of bush okay they would say, okay, are, you're going to have teachers in the group? Well, you should have the principal. You should have the superintendent. You should have, you know, the, the, uh, the, the A-validate, whatever. They would, like, that's what a grouping of teachers was. And my first thing was, like, where's the union delegate? okay where is the teacher the science where where is you know where's the student council president and so literally then we changed that i mean the career service people were just like who are you bringing in the union delegate are you sure the secretary's (laughs) okay with that you know rhode island teachers are freaking out up there about this right and so and i can tell you arnie was always like hell yes we do it, we must have the delegate there, we need, you know, he had, when they asked him, you know, are you okay with this line, the guest list here? He'd be like, yeah, uh-huh, of course, right? D- you got the angry parent, all that, right? So what I'm saying is that he believed in an inclusive table where people would feel this is real, okay? And my job was to make sure those voices were heard, All right. Occupy was happening. Bring in Occupy. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was like journey for justice. G2 Brown. Okay. From Chicago. Mm -hmm. He couldn't get heard that from Mayor Emanuel. So you know what he did? He turned the march and went to Washington. And guess who heard him? Arnie we we G2 came in to the Department of Education he's just one of many the badass teachers out of the bats out of New York City okay they would come and they would say can we have a meeting
0: no I, I, and I and so I, he, I have to give uh, Duncan credit for this I really have to say this uh, I, I when you mentioned G2 brought a flashback mm-hmm that had to do with the um, diet high school Dyett protests, high school. and they could not get a meeting with Mayor Rahm. And they, I remember this when when the the mayor's emails were revealed, when the Sun Times foyed the emails. Yeah, uh, it it turned out that uh, the strikers went to Pete Cutting, the aforementioned Pete Cunningham, who always teased him. He was like the bridge to liberals, mm-hmm. uh, for like the dailies and the Rahms. He was like their guy to go talk to people like me, and but it, they went to him. I. Tim, I just found this so revealing about how Chicago was working in the years of Mayor Rahm. Mm-hmm. That it was Randy Weingarten who was the head of the teachers union, AFT, uh, the AFT one mm-hmm. of the most important and influential union leaders in the country, yep. had to uh, get Peter Cunningham yep. to be a liaison to get Rahm Emanuel to answer her phone call you know if Mark Zuckerberg was calling Rahm would pick up the phone like that and that just spoke volumes of where the city was so I give uh, at the time under Rahm so I give Cunningham credit that he kept the bridges open I always give him credit for that he
1: did that and all those reporters in Chicago okay, uh, the local news people in Chicago would call Pete they'd call me and they go, Tim, do you got a contact at Huberman's office? Do you have a contact in Rom's office? You know? That just
0: shows you how the, low the bar is, by would the way. They call that
1: the U.S. Department yeah. of Education Assistant Secretary for Communications so that they could get a hold of somebody down at, at CPS. Yeah. Right? I'm sorry. That's, uh, okay, so yeah, that so. was then. Okay, that was under Rom. All right? And so my point is, oh, and they would often, and this is so Chicago, okay? So Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, Chicago guys call up at Ultimate, whatever, and they just go, yeah, Tim, can I talk to Arnie? And I'd be like, well, you need to schedule an appointment. He goes, all I want to do is a call, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> you need to schedule a call with Arnie. And And they'd be like, what do you mean? Can you just give me his number or put me through? You know, and I'd say... He's got a full schedule. You need to call. Like what? Like tomorrow? Like when? I just need to ask him a thing, right? Yeah. Chicagoans are like, <laughs> yeah. And but that was also a testament to him. And the kind of open door that he had, people would pull him over and go, we had to teach the, the Secret Service detail in Washington, D.C., these guys would come up to him, like, after meetings and after town halls and stuff. And the, the security detail, I had to teach him, you need to stand 10 feet away from the secretary, okay? And people would come up, yo, Arnie, what's going on? I mean, I remember Billy Ayers, all right, in San Francisco. Bill Ayers. The Bill right? Ayers. Yeah, Who's Bernadine Dorn is. will be at the Hideout on Monday night? Uh, oh, really? tonight for um, yeah, tonight, the Monkey right. Wrench. Anyway, <laughs> Wait, what's she going to be
0: doing at the Hideout?
1: We have a con- we have comedy every Monday night, and so tonight uh, the Monkey Wrench um, will have a number of stand-up comedians. They always do political humor, and then Bernadine Dorn will She's be the special stand-up? guest. She is going to be interviewed by Arish Singh. Who's a, who's a comedian, but he also, he started a couple months ago interviewing interesting people uh-huh. and getting their take wow. on, on their life, on their comedy, okay. on their sense of humor. I never thought of thing. Bernie Dornay
0: being stand-up, but hey, I gotta few do jokes. Stand-up. No, no, she's not doing stand she's doing an kidding.
1: interview with a stand-up comedian, <laughs> Got and he's just gonna talk to her about okay. stuff. Right, but, a rabbi, priest um,
0: and a minister, walking in a bar. I
1: remember, <laughs> I remember going to an event out in San Francisco, it was a packed room, it was yeah. like the Education Journalist Association, and by the way, a lot of these journalists that are still working today, you know, they would call me up. But anyway, he just walked Bill up Ayers. Arnie, Bill Ayers. Yeah. Arnie, let me talk to you. And I'd be like, come on, Billy man, not now, man. We're in San Francisco. What the yeah, hell? You know? Yeah. He's like, shut up, Tim. You know, like that. And he's like, hey Arnie, this is going on Arnie's like, hey, what's going on, man? All right. What's going on? Wow, you're out here in San Francisco. Huh, that's great. Okay, great. You know, he never paled around with Bill Ayers. Let me just make okay, that very Okay, just get clear. that clear. <laughs> okay, that used to be an issue back in the election. Oh, 2008.
0: Uh, John McCain. I I remember that. An anti. issue. Yep, yeah. Bill Ayers uh, commercials, like he's a friend of Bill He's Ayers. a
1: University of Illinois professor who's an expert on education. You okay? talk about Bill Ayers, yeah. Bill Ayers, and yeah. of course, the secretary, Arnie, he obviously well, they're both him. from. They're Hyde Park people too. And that too, yeah. so, but it, but it's like the old Chicago thing, we're like this big city, but we're like, hey, come on, everybody knows everybody, what are we doing here? What, yeah. you gotta go, I got a schedule through your guy? Yeah. What's going I on, here? I see you know? what you're saying, yeah. Right, which is a classic because <laughs> The other day when Kellyanne Conway walked up to Nancy Pelosi and said, yeah, do you want to say something? You know, do you got a comment on Trump? She's like, I don't talk to staff. I talk to the president. I had a flashback to when I was in D.C. One of our jobs was that you do not let staff doesn't talk to the principal. That's what you don't go up to the senator, the governor, the president, whatever. You protect them. Right. Which made my job interesting because. And earlier, under Margaret Spellings, a guy like me was supposed to block people from talking to her okay Uh my job was to make sure that people were able because because arnie literally be like what are they thinking about out here what was that teacher wasn't there somebody here that wanted to say something like during like an event a town hall there'd be a teacher that'd be like god dang it i gotta talk to him about this right and i would say to that if i like if they come up to me are you how do i get to talk to him i wanted to ask a question i didn't have a chance they ran out of time literally i'd be like if you could just stand by the doorway, we'll be walking right out that route. Yeah. right? And then, as Arnie would come, I'd go, there's a teacher who wants to talk to you about charters, there's another uh, union delegate, she has an issue, there's a parent who has a special needs child, and he literally would just be like, okay, okay, okay. And then my job would be the opposite of blocking him. My job would be connecting him so that he was able to meet different people. And you know what we did that? We did that in all 50 States. We did it in Haiti. I even went down there with them. We did it um, 405. I can't believe I'm spending all my time talking That's about all this. That's alright, man. But, but <laughs> Let's go. When you see, when you see the TV yeah. show Veep, okay, uh-huh. people would always say is Washington, D.C. like House of Cards? Yeah. Like, is it like that? I'm yeah. like, actually it's like Veep. And I was one of those Veep guys, a staffer. But my job was to make sure that the secretary was connecting directly with teachers, parents, and kids, and making sure that the security detail understood that we were, that we're accessible. All right. Now and we did that.
0: Okay. So you've had experience in Washington, you've had experience here in Chicago, uh, and you're also, uh, as a kid, you were really into politics. So you grew up, uh, reading about politics. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you the question I asked McDumpkey earlier when he was yeah. in the show and uh, we'll close down the interview with this question. Based on your observations, based on what you've seen by reading the newspaper, by uh, what you've seen firsthand, what you've read in the history books, who in your humble opinion is the most deranged president of your lifetime? Is it Donald Trump? Is it Richard Nixon? Is it Lyndon Johnson? Is it Ronald Reagan? Bill Clinton? Who, in your opinion, I may have forgotten George Bush, Barack Obama, who is the most deranged president of your life?
1: So um, I, I'm born in 1960. My first president that I was conscious of was Lyndon Johnson. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, some people might be Kennedy folks. I'm an LBJ all the way, okay? I can't watch those movies about LBJ, even the bad one with Woody Harrelson, okay? But the new one with Brian Cranston. I started crying the minute he came on and I never stopped crying, okay? To me, LBJ was, again, if you get any people calling in or whatever. I can't even think of my life without LBJ LBJ he was a southern guy my dad was a southern guy lbj was the guy that everybody thought was just lbj drinking whiskey look at the dog with the ears oh mom you know and all that i look at lady bird johnson yeah i will cry lady bird johnson is the living she was the epitome of my aunts down in south carolina she was strong and smart and she was hard working and she was thoughtful she was the one that started sustainable environmentalism right she was the one with the they're like oh she did the wildflowers no she talked about zero scaping okay she was amazing and an advisor to the president lbj he was the guy on the outside god dang it, we're gonna kick some ass and on the inside he was the guy that sat down with martin luther king on the same couch and said all right man what the hell are we gonna do here
0: oh there's so much you're
1: gonna march and martin luther king hammered at lbj and lbj was like i know what you're doing i gotta do it so lbj heartbreaking so we follow that with Nixon okay and I was eight years old a Cub Scout and I was and not only that Nixon got me to run for student council okay I became my student council vice president president I was I I never lost an election all the way through high school all right and by the way when I was in high school I finally my junior year instead of running for student council president I ran my friend's cat and called it Richard Milhouse Cat, okay? <laughs> because we were living, and this, the the time, Richard that was 1976 when we did yeah. it, right? So I looked at Richard Nixon as like the worst. <laughs> I grew up in yeah. junior high, high school, the formative years with Nixon, right? And I looked at that. and But I got to tell you, Nixon... I, you know, I don't know if it's the Neil Young song that even Richard Nixon's got soul. I don't know what it is. I looked at him like, dude, you are a pathetic, sad person, but I always felt, and this is terrible, I always felt really bad growing up that he was so just angry and so bad. And I was, and I remember, Though I'm telling you, you know, and I think of Bernadette Dorn, you know, I had two things. My two most important books were my Boy Scout handbook, which taught me how to camp and how to make fires. And steal this book by Abby Hoffman, mm. which taught me how to make fires and make bombs, okay? And I remember thinking like what a real American is, is a Democrat and a progressive and fights for justice and equality. I'm serious, that comes out of LBJ, the Great Society. Yeah. That comes out of the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act. When I was a kid, I remember our teachers telling us you know what the elementary and secondary education act and then i went to work in washington dc the building's called the lyndon johnson building okay the oak that is the symbol of the department of education was the live oak that lbj read books under when he was a kid we did an event where we planted a tree from the hill country of texas and we brought linda linda burr johnson down to 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 do it my point is Nixon I felt okay who's who's the worst Donald Trump is a sociopath he is not narcissistic. He's a sociopath. He is a mean-spirited, and it is sad of the tragic upbringing that he had as a child that made him what he is. He has no clue what he's doing. He just says shit all the time, and he says mean things. He hurts women. He hurts people around him. He doesn't trust anybody. He, he has no, if it's Michael Cohen, if it's Manafort, people, he has no friends, Right? So I feel terrible for this guy, Donald Trump, but he's sociopathic. He does not have any empathy at all for any man, woman, or child. Treats his children horribly, and he was treated horribly. And being a teacher who works in the county jail, I'm obviously very conscious of a child's upbringing and the effect that it can have on their life. But that's Donald Trump. Nixon was this... Uh, this person, that what he did with Cambodia, what I mean, it is beyond what the, we, the Watergate. Mm-hmm. Screw that! All right, he he broke in. That's a horrible thing, right? He was bombing Cambodia. Yeah. Okay, he was going into Laos. He was lying about the the, the people. He said he was good. He had a secret plan to end the Vietnam War he while lbj my president was president he was secretly talking to those uh, whatever the viet Cong or whatever about how don't end this war now yeah he
0: was okay? oh, what, what he was doing was sending messages uh to the north the Paris, Vietnamese or, and, uh, to say that uh if you, you know he was no he's sending messages excuse me to the south vietnamese saying stall uh stall that you'll get a better deal when i am the president so just stall so he was undercutting uh the Paris peace talks uh, and dragging out the war. But I cannot, I have to, I must at this point, okay, Oh my God, I say that, that that war escalated under LBJ. So let's, let's just put that out there that the Vietnam war, the main years of escalation uh, was from uh, roughly 1965 uh, to 1969.
1: It did. And, and you know and what I believe? I believe years. it did. And I believe LBJ was, it, it wasn't just because he knew he would lose. Okay. I think LBJ in his heart was absolutely, Absolutely. He got to that place. Here was civil rights in the great society, and I'm a believer that he just was devastated by, I can't end this war. This is the most worst thing. Right. And he felt, you know, but my point about Nixon is, okay, it, it, Trump is sociopathic, okay? I believe that, certifiably. Mm. I think Nixon, oh, sure. he has something, the really dark, dark side of America, okay? He is this misunderstood, intelligently brilliant person, okay, who was smart and had people around him that were loyal to him. I remember when I was a kid, I had the Watergate playing cards. Everybody else was saying, okay, (laughs) let's do the lineup. The Cubs. We got Ernie Banks. We got Billy Williams. We got Ron Santos, Randy Huntley. You know, they knew all of the players, Leo DeRocher, right? I was the kid going, Haldeman, Colson, Ehrlichman, John Dean. You know, I like knew the names. And then I'm like, Sam Irvin's on the Watergate committee. And, you know, and so I'd be like, listen, Sam Nunn, and naming all these people.
0: Haldeman, Ehrlichman, Mitchell, and Dean. It all fits a pattern. If you dig what I mean. So but Uh, I looked
1: at that like Nixon was a horrible guy, but I looked that he was with a circle, a cabal uh, of evil men, and uh, but they were friends or something. And I did feel that he had some kind of belief that what he was doing was the best for an America that had gone out of its mind during Woodstock and the 60s and all that. And he thought in his way he was making America right again. And, and so that's de, that's fascist and delusional and, and and horrible. I mean you know
0: I but mean it's not as bad as Donald Trump. That's your
1: point. No it's it what he did was he was truly a fascist. Donald Trump, is this horrible buffoon. D- this ho- not buffoon, he has a sickness. He has a sociopathology. Well, Do you see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah,
0: I hear what you're saying. I And I, I, I've been struggling with this. Uh, I was, I was telling this in the earlier interview with McDuck, he have been saying this uh, all week. I've been doing some reading of the history and reacquainting myself with the with with life in America that I grew up with, and I'm now realizing that there's some. I mean, it's an obvious point. There's some patterns that are reoccurring uh, in our country that we fight so hard against. And for all the criticism I make. Of of what uh, Barack Obama and Arne Duncan did in regards to uh, uh, hurting teachers unions with their embrace of the charter school, I would never in a million years even remotely compare them to what Donald Trump is doing right now uh, in terms of these overall patterns and uh, and look at Barbara
1: Bird Bennett, look at Forrest Claypool, look at all that. Did that Arne?
0: All right, we'll end the interview okay. there, the conversation Not here. we be going for a long time. That's Tim Tutton. We could talk forever, as you can tell. He is uh, one of the co-founders of The Hideout. Uh, I urge absolutely everybody to check out The Hideout's uh, web page, see what shows, concerts, plays, political meetings are coming up. Uh, I must say, if you got looking for something to do tomorrow, because this airs Monday, McDumpkin and I will be at The Hideout at 6.30 for First Tuesday, and you get to hear Tim live on on stage with whatever he's pitching before we come on. (laughs) Uh, Thank you very much, Tim Tutton, uh, for being with us. Thank you, Dr. D. See you tomorrow, everybody.